to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. First Peter 5 um, is this idea of, of remaining steadfast and standing firm, which is this idea that we're going to come back to today as we, as we are talking about church history in the Middle Ages. But I wanted to begin with this because we're going to come back to this idea towards the end. And it says this, First Peter 5 Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. I'm going to read that again because that's the big idea, I think, in this this passage here. Resist him, the devil. Stand firm and standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. We're going to talk about sufferings today in church history of of the Middle Ages. And then verse 10, and, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's, let's pray this morning. Jesus, we do thank you for this time that, that we come together as the mill, and, and we learn about church history, the, the believers that have gone before us. God, would you encourage us today to, to stand firm and be steadfast, like maybe some of the people were in the Middle Ages that, that kept on keeping on while, while there was misery and hardships. God, would you encourage us this morning as we learn about those that have gone before us. We, we praise your name. We thank you, Jesus. And everyone screamed, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so we're talking about church history today. We're talking, we usually, at, at Sunday school, we always take months, uh, the topic uh, by months. And so we've been talking about the Middle Ages. And today we're specifically going to talk about, kind of compare the church today. Um, I have a picture up here, of, that's a picture of New Life right outside here. We're not going to necessarily compare New Life Church, but that's our context. Since most of us are New Lifers and are here on a Sunday morning, we're going to co- compare church today with the church of the Middle Ages and what it was like to be a Christian to be, um, what, what was it, like the quintessential quist- Christian life, that's a tongue twister, quintessential qu- Christian life of today versus the Middle Ages. And so I, I thought I would begin with a rabbit trail, um, kind of a funny story that happened to me way back in the day, back in high school. Um, and and I, w- I went to high school in Germany because my parents were in the Air Force, my dad was in the Air Force, and so I went to an American school, but I was in Germany. I became a Christian in, in Germany at a Christian um, Protestant youth group, and every year, um, this Christian Protestant youth group for spring break would go to Ibiza, Spain. Wouldn't that be sweet if you got to go to Spain on a high school um, uh, it wasn't even a mission trip. It was just a high school like week of fun in, in Spain. And so we'd t- get on this bus, and it took like two days to get there. And we'd hang out, and this is the picture that it's, we're all in our uh, late 90s baggy clothes. Um, there's me in the uh, upper left-hand corner, if the picture does justice. Yeah, there I am, just hanging out, you know, um, in high school. And I had just be- become a Christian, and um, here I am um, in, this, in this youth group learning what it means to be a Christian. And our, our youth group was, um, uh, of course, in high school, you know, partying um, um, was not a part of the Christian life, you know, having a good time was. But, of course, no drinking um, was, was at... 
uh, you couldn't drink, you couldn't smoke, uh, you were in high school, uh, this youth group was pretty strict rules, we didn't listen to secular music, you couldn't, you couldn't listen to secular music, if you, if you did, you, you would be invited to burn your CDs, like literally, has anybody ever been to a CD burning party, which, when you're like, oh, I've never done that, it sounds fun, you get together and you burn music and everybody listens to get some more music, no, it's a literal fire, and you would bring your CDs that you, that your secular music, and you would burn it in the parking lot um, because you're only supposed to be listening to Christian music because you're a Christian. And um, so, so my youth group was that kind of youth group at the beach, of course, girls. It's, it's the stated rule that girls uh, in, this, in my high school youth group had to wear one-piece bathing suits with a uh, waist wrap. Girls, do you know what I'm talking about? Like the rules when you're a part of the Christian beach scene. Um, and so uh, there we were, very, um, very doing uh, Christian stuff. And if you were very serious, you brought your uh, serious about being a Christian in my youth group. You carried around your Bible everywhere, whether it be to class or to the beach or to lunch. You had your Bible on you, um, and that's just kind of what it, what I knew to be a Christian. Those were the things that you did. You didn't listen to secular music. You didn't drink alcohol. You didn't smoke. You you uh, you only listened to Christian music, and and that's just what it was like to be a Christian in my youth group. That I mean, that's my. Whole whole worldview is, is, was opening up to like, this is what a Christian is. This is the quintessential Christian life um, for me in my high school um, at, at this youth group. And so um, we, a couple of us, met some Germans um, who were also there in Spain. So the story might be a little confusing, hopefully not too confusing, but we were Americans from Germany in Spain for spring break. These were uh, Germans from Germany uh, that had come um, to spring break, and they were also a group of Christians, Christians from Germany. Um, we, we met them, and they're like, oh, we were Christians. I think some of you saw us carrying a Bible, and so we got into conversation with them, and they invited us to um, a beach party the next day um, down at the beach to hang out with them. We we're like, oh, sweet, cool. Um, it'll be like two groups of Christians in this cool little uh, clip art thing that I found. Um, two groups of Christians coming together, united by Christ. You know, here they are, German. We're Americans, but we're both Christian. We're both groups. Um, and so we just were excited about like, oh, yeah, we're just going to hang out with the Germans tomorrow. They're Christians. And so we're, we're humming along, probably, you know, whistling our audio adrenaline big house. Anybody remember that song um, back in the uh, back in the 90s that was the big song and uh of course carrying our bibles whistling along and and just going down to to hang out with the germans and we get down there and the girls um didn't have tops on and so we're like wait what and so were they like they're christians we're christians you know don't they know the rule about one piece bathing suits with a uh waist wrap obviously they didn't know that rule and and i we were just like uh uh, uh, I mean, but I guess in European culture, if you've ever been to a beach in Europe or, um, I don't know, you just know that you know, Europeans, when they go to the beach, they take their clothes off, like all their clothes off. Um, and it, it was it was more than awkward, obviously. The guys had on Speedos, because I guess Speedos were you know popular in the European culture in the 90s. And it's just like, this is weird. Don't they know the Christian rules about um, what you, know, you should wear at the beach? And then on top of this, they were all drinking beer. And we were like, is this Sodom and Gomorrah? Is this 
the, the golden calf story of the Old Testament? Like, don't they know that they can't do that? I mean, my, as a new believing Christian in high school, I was, I was just dumbfounded. Like, obviously they're not Christians because everything I know about being a Christian is being violated here because they're drinking. But if you know German culture, you know that the official drinking age in Germany is 16. But if you're with your uh, parent or, or an, an older person, it's, and it's not a rule that's very well, like, like you could just order a beer uh, if you wanted to, and you're a 12-year-old, and that's, that's fine. Um, but the, the official drinking age, if you're with your parent, is 14. And it's like, we have the drinking age is 21. And so in Germany, like, beer is just, you know, you could order beer at McDonald's. And so it's just much more cultural to, to drink alcohol. But to me, as this new Christian in high school, watching the, these girls with their tops off, drinking beer, and, and the, guy, the guys with dirty little Speedos on, it was just the, it was like, what are they doing? And to top it all off, the icing on the cake, they were listening um, to a radio, and, the, and they weren't listening to Carmen, they weren't listening to Stephen Curtis Chapman, they were listening um, to like Ace of Base, do you remember them? Or Boys to Men, or the Cranberries, and, and we're like, what in the world? Everything we knew about being a Christian was being violated. And, and, and it was just an eye-opening experience of how, you know, the, the church, two different cultures can, can be both Christian, but, but so different. My high school youth group compared to this German high school youth group. And so today, I kind of tell that story in a roundabout way, that, that in some ways, we might be like kind of eye-opening experiences today as we talk about what it means to be a Christian today and kind of compare that back to the Middle Ages and, and realize that the Christian culture of the Middle Ages was so different than our culture today. And yet we're both... Um, Christians, our group, you know, we're all Christians in here, um, at least if, if you are, that if you claim to be a Christian, you, you're a Christian, we're all, I'm just saying kind of like we, plural, we're Christians here, and, and we compare ourselves to the Middle Ages, it's just so different, and maybe the best example wasn't the example that I just gave of me, you know, watching the Germans would drink beer, and, and just that, that culture difference, but we're going to look at that today, this difference between the Middle Ages and the church today. So, if you're new to Mill Sunday School, before we get into all this, uh, I thought I'd give a few announcements and say, welcome, we love that you're here, if, if you're joining us or visiting with us. Uh, um, if you want, on all the table, our, uh, tables are uh, a first-timer card, you can fill that out, bring it uh, to the nice people as you leave um, in, in the lobby there, and they'll give you a CD. The CD has some worship music on it, we'd love to give you that as a gift. And it's some worship music that we recorded from a Friday night, which is our main meeting. Um, how many of you all go to the Mill? Whoop, whoop. Um, that's kind of our main meeting. Uh, it's the worship and a sermon, and it's more of a service. The Mill Sunday School is kind of an offshoot of that, and it's just more of a teaching, a time of teaching. So, um, yeah, so welcome if you're new. But I have a discussion question for you. Before we get into you know, what it was like to be a Christian in the Middle Ages, I thought it would be cool to, to brainstorm with some people at your table or around you um, this question which is just like, what are the quintessential, I just really like that word, um, what are the quintessential attributes of the American Christian culture in 2011, like today? Like, what are the things we do? Um, and you could somewhat be funny about it, and there's this really funny uh, website that kind of, it's a Christian making fun of him, other Christians, so Christians making fun of themselves. Uh, it's called stuffchristianslike.net, I think. Has anybody ever been there? 
It's, it's, it's funny. And they list things that Christians like and make fun of it. But, um, but don't just be funny at your table and list the funny things that we do. Um, list, like, what do we, like, what does it really mean to be a Christian um, in culturally? So I'm not asking you, like, a soteriological explanation of what it means to be a Christian and, like, what it means to be saved. I'm just asking, like, what if someone from the outside looking in on our Christian culture, what would they think? What would they say, um, the, the things that we do? Does the question make sense? All right, so ready, get set, discuss. All right, um, we're not going to pass mics. I thought it'd just be fun to yell stuff because usually you don't get an opportunity to yell in church. Um, so what are some things that are quintessential attributes of the American Christian culture in 2011? Christian radio. How many of you listen to Christian radio? Uh, what else? Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, yeah. <laughs> yes. What else? <laughs> what? Starbucks. Yeah, coffee. What else? Potlucks or pot? Anybody ever hear it called pot faith? So we don't believe in luck here. This is a pot faith dinner. <laughs> no? Nobody hears that? Uh, what else? Hipsters? Say <laughs> <Like, laughs> hipsters. Christian idiom. Yeah, our Christianese, like things that we say. What else? Missions. missions. Yeah, going on missions. What else? What? Yeah, being politically correct or voting a certain way. Sure, yes. Anything else? <laughs> Jesus, what? Oh, Jesus jokes. I got it. I got it. That's what we do. Um, I listed, I have like a list of um, some things here. I listed a morning Devo with coffee and the Bible. How many people do that? Coffee, Bible, morning. Yeah, that's and and that's just kind of what we do. We like somebody even yelled out, we like Starbucks, we we like coffee. It's like the Christian crack, as as people say. But but and we also like our reading our Bible. That's what we do as a culture. And we also like to read Christian books. It's very common to, to, for you to be reading, me to be reading C.S. Lewis, Tozer, Rob Bell, you know, we're just always as a as a Christian culture, it seems like there's a lot of us reading. It's like, what are you reading? And it's like, oh, I'm reading C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. I'm reading this, or I'm reading that. So we read books together um, that, that, that are usually Christian books. We have Christian bumper stickers on our cars, don't we? How many of you, and if a mill sticker would count, a, a Jesus fish would count, um, a cheesy Christian sticker would count, how many of you have some sort of Christian thing on your car? Be honest. <laughs> um, and then sometimes we like to wear Christian t-shirts. I saw this one. I don't know if I should be really proud of this or deeply troubled by the, this t-shirt. Um, but it's over at the, the New Life Church Christian bookstore. So you could go buy this t- today. Like right now, you can go buy this t-shirt for fourteen ninety nine. But it says this. It says, Fishers of Men. It's got a big bass on it. And then it says, this is the disturbing part, at least this part is, uh, you catch them, is what it says on the left. And then on the right, it says, God cleans them. <laughs> and I saw that shirt, and I was like, at first I was like, what? What? What does that mean? And then, and then I was like, oh, like God cleans them up. And like, not like guts them. Anyways, um, 
So that's just a part of our Christian culture. Uh, we go on mission trips. Somebody yelled that out. We, we go and every few years. It's, it's common you know, to go on a mission trip uh, of some kind to somewhere. Uh, we, we become leaders in our church. If we're really serious about church, then we don't just come to church. We, we may lead or be a leader in some way, our small group, be, be involved. We do listen to worship CDs or Christian CDs or the Christian radio. Um, and I, I listed the last one. We go to church a few times a week. I mean, I mean if I'm talking to you in the Mill Sunday School, um, you're here now. Most of you probably go to the Mill. Uh, lots of you raise your hand on a Friday night. And so your Sunday School, maybe you go to big church after Sunday School. A bunch of us go over together and sit, sit together in big church. And, and some of us, how many of you go to a small group throughout the week of some sort? So th- that's a lot of church that, that we as Christians go to um, today. And so th- these things, I'm just listing them out um, as the things that we do. And, and so to compare ourselves and ask this question, what was it like to be a Christian in the Middle Ages? And if you have your notes, um, I, I made a mockery of that sentence. It says, what was is like to be a Christian in the Middle Ages? Sorry, spelling error. Anyways, so this idea of what was it like to be a Christian in the Middle Ages, you know, if we compare the quintessential Christian life to the quintessential Christian life in the Middle Ages, well, what would it look like? Did, did they have a morning devo with coffee and the Bible? No, there was, coffee wasn't around yet. Can you believe that? Like a whole age. I mean, that's probably why it's called the Dark Ages or the, it's like they didn't have coffee. Can you believe that? And I guess there was, you know, it comes from, uh, if you could research the history of coffee later, but it really wasn't until after the Middle Ages that coffee um, was invented and came about as like a popular drink. And so they didn't have coffee. Uh, first of all, which is just horrible, but but more seriously than that, you know, we could laugh about, oh, they didn't have coffee, how horrible. But honestly, they didn't have the Bible like we have it at least today. I mean, there's Bibles on all the tables, you, you, there's Bibles on our phones, there's Bibles on the computer, there's Bibles, um, you know, you get pocket-sized Bibles, there's big Bibles, study Bibles. You know, every one of us um, can easily own... Ten, five Bibles, you know, with all the with all the devices and stuff on top of actual paper Bibles. But people in the Middle Ages did not have the Bible like we have it. And in fact, you could probably emphatically just say they didn't have the Bible. Like no one had a Bible in the Middle Ages. If they did, it was worth probably more than their life. It was a hand written Bible, you know, because the printing press hadn't yet been invented. That, that won't be invented by Gutenberg until um, the 1400s, late 1400s. And so people did not have the Bible. And even if, you know, maybe maybe your church had a Bible, um, it was probably a, a Vulgate translation, which meant mean it was in Latin. And if you were in, you know, Europe, you spoke an old German or an old French. You didn't even speak Latin. It was an old language. And so even if you had or could look at a Bible, it would be in a different language and you probably couldn't read or write first of all and even if you could you probably didn't know a second language latin to be able to read your bible and so it's like think about that for just a second i mean so much of what it means to be a christian today you know you become a christian we say yeah go read your bible now now learn and, and go read your bible and, and you, you might even you know if you're not doing well you know a pastor might ask you well are you reading your bible and and that's kind of our culture in 2011 but just imagine it being living in the Middle Ages, there was no Bible for you to read. Like the Bible was read in church, and and that's the only Bible that you got back in the day, as far as a, a written text. And so people did memorize it. People did have oral traditions of, of memorizing the Psalms, for instance. But can you imagine not having a Bible and not having a cup of coffee? I mean. 
That very different world, a Christian world, than, than our Christian world today. Reading Christian books, of course, out. You know, no, no one had the Bible, no one had books to read. Some of the largest libraries in the Middle Ages were like 100 to 200 books. You know, like, wow, we have all these books, 200 books. It's like, that, that's like one bookshelf, you know? That's maybe like one full bookshelf. And it's like, that's the best library that, that, that was existed in the Middle Ages. Um, that's, that's not a lot of books. People didn't have books. They were all handwritten. Um, Christian bumper stickers on their cars. No, they didn't have cars. They probably didn't have stickers. And this this idea of like witnessing to the people around you. I mean, everybody in the Middle Ages was a Christian. It was like this Christian world in the Middle Ages. Church and politics, as we talked about last time, were interwoven. And it wasn't like, oh, we need to witness to our neighbors across the street. It's like, no, they're all Christians. Everyone is a Christian. And it's a Christian worldview. It's a Christian political world, uh, as, as we talked about. Mission trips, uh, once every few years, of course, they didn't have time or money to go on short-term mission trips. If there were, the missions that were happening were happening by uh, official clergy, the monks. You know, if they were stationed some, to go somewhere else, then they would be a missionary somewhere else. But that didn't happen very much, and it didn't happen like it happens today. Um, people didn't go on mission trips like we know it. Um, becoming a leader in their church, well, they probably didn't even become a leader in their church because this, this separation of clergy and laity was this strong division and and someone you know you had to study for years to become a monk or a priest or or nun and and you were held in this role of of being you know the 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 person in charge the 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 royal the lay lay the clergy and and the people you know couldn't read or write and there was a stark difference between you know the, the, the priests and the people and and there wasn't this um, you know we might call call it the the like the priesthood of believers today that we can all you know be priests in our you know in our in our settings we could lead small groups we could read the Bible for ourselves etc and that didn't exist like it does today in the Middle Ages listening to worship CDs no not so much they didn't have worship CDs or CDs or um, the music that they did in church was probably a cappella and a small little you know church and they sang together and they didn't have they couldn't take that experience home with them in a cd because they didn't exist um and then the idea of church a few times a week that didn't really happen either people went to church once on sundays and there wasn't this free time to go to church you know fridays and to a small group and and it was like no you just had you went to a church service and that's and that was that and so we've kind of listing all these things like how christianity wasn't in the Middle Ages, but what was it like? People uh, came to little churches, and the service um, w- was was held um, in- entirely um, in Latin for the for the most case. I mean, we talked about last time how this the Charlemagne, um, the Carolingian Renaissance, how he said that church services should happen in the language of the people, and so that's uh, an exception that happened during this uh, the Charlemagne's rule. But for the most part. Um, you went to a church, and it wasn't like you could pick, like, oh, I'll go to a Baptist church or a Presbyterian or a Methodist or a crazy charismatic church. There wasn't any choices. There was the church that you went to in the Middle Ages, which, of course, the denomination was what? Catholic. I mean, the, the Protestant Reformation won't happen until the kind of the 1500s. And so if you went to church, you went to the Holy Roman Catholic Church, and you sat there, and the entire church service was probably um, in Latin, 
and you just sat there and a person spoke a language you did not know because you know you're speaking old you know an old german or an old french or an old old english and this church service is being held in latin which is crazy to think about that the catholic church had this rule of you know the services a mass is supposed to be in latin up until the 1960s did you know that like if you went to catholic if your parents were like catholic and they went to church well then they went to church, a Catholic church, before the 1960s. It was in Latin, like the whole service. It's like, wouldn't that be weird? I mean, we think about like going to church and listening and participating in, in, in the service and listening to... I mean, what if you were in here and you didn't speak English? And, or if I was speaking a different language? It would just be so odd. And anyways, people didn't have the Bible. Uh, like I said, the Bible was a handwritten, beautiful piece of you know, a book that... that that was worth probably more than your life because it probably took near a lifetime to copy a Bible, especially in the way that they did it very artistically. And so you were very, I would imagine you would be very superstitious, wouldn't you? If you went to a church service and it was in another language and, and you didn't have a Bible to read on your own and you just heard stories and maybe you believe there's lots of fairy tales about fairies and witches and sorcery that comes out of the Middle Ages because that's what people thought. That's what... People were just so superstitious. And imagine yourself going to church. I think I've shared this story before. It's just kind of a quintessential story of uh, what it was like to be in the Middle Ages a Christian. And um, imagine yourself sitting there and the whole church service is in Latin. And the Catholic Church believed and still does today that and, and something, a doctrine called transubstantiation, which means that the bread and the wine, I, I think they would say literally or tr- I don't know that they would figuratively or something turns into the actual blood and body of Jesus Christ, and, and that's what's consumed. And so you're so you're actually taking Jesus' body and blood, and it still looks like bread and still looks like wine, but it becomes Christ's flesh. So, anyways, they they still hold to that doctrine. That was the doctrine in the Middle Ages, because the only church in the Middle Ages is the Catholic Church, and so people, the, the priest would hold up the bread and say, this is my body, but of course he would say it in Latin, because the whole church service was in Latin, and the Latin phrase for that is hoc es corpus meum, and he would break it, and then and it'll magically, it would turn into, you know, if, if you're superstitious, of course, you would think magically it turns into Christ's body and blood, and of course that's where we get the word hocus pocus, like that's what it sounds like, hoc es corpus meum, hocus pocus, is this idea that, you know, it's just magic happens, and then it turns into Christ's body and blood, and then it's like this magical thing of, you know, superstitious, you know, you'd take it, and instead of eating it, you know, there's records of people like stealing it, and putting it in their pocket, taking it home, back to their, here's a picture of a quintessential house in the Middle Ages, um, half barn, half house, um, and so you'd take it back to your house, and maybe you'd put it on a little shrine kind of thing, and you'd have Christ presence in your house they, you know they would think literally they'd be very superstitious about that and and that was kind of the christian life in the middle ages very different don't you think than today's quintessential christian life um so we've talked about what it was like to be a christian and now kind of just this bigger idea of what it was like to live in the middle ages and and we'll kind of come back to this idea that we started off with uh, of standing firm and being remaining faithful in the faith um, but, but to continue talking about the Middle Ages and life in the Middle Ages, I think one word comes to mind as I've you know, read statistics about how long people lived and the death rate and what was going on in the Middle Ages. And that word would probably be misery. Like it was miserable 
um, from what we know now and what our life is like to live in the Middle Ages. It was um, misery. Can you imagine um, um, just living and being dirty and no showers, no heat, no... um, um, quick food, everything took time. You know, the, the, it was a rural culture, uh, agriculture, and you had to do everything yourself and make your own clothes, make your own food, um, and, and it just led to, to misery. And, and there was a lot of war. Here's a map of uh, the post-Carolingian Empire. I don't know if you, the, the map is very clear. It's, it's lots of things on a small uh, map there, all of Europe, but you can see the, all of the different colors, and it's broken up between these nation states, and, and they would war with each other. These city states would war, and so the the Middle Ages was a, a time of war. Maybe that's what you think about when you think Middle Ages. You think of knights and shining armor and swords, and and that's kind of the romanticized idea. But then you start to think about bloody war and 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 killing people with a sword and being killed, and it's like that's miserable. What a horrible time to live in history. And and what a, what a time to live in history where um, it's just miserable and you were very you were subjected to you know the weather patterns you know you didn't work nine to five if you were in the Middle Ages if you were in the Middle Ages you didn't go to a job no if it was planting season then you would plant from sun up to sundown if it was harvesting season you would harvest from sun up to sundown and if it was in the winter months you just stayed inside you ate and drank what little food you had and you just lived in this cramped little house barn with the rest of your big family because you needed a big family because that, that's who the laborers were, your, your sons and your daughters. And it was just miserable. Here's a statistic that, that it's hard to, for us to get our minds around about how miserable this would be. But children in the Middle Ages, um, <clears throat> children that were born, so we're not talking about miscarriages, but children that were born, and, and I can imagine this because Erica and I are pregnant and we're going to have a little boy soon. Um, but one-fourth of all the children born died within the first year of their life. Like one out of four. And that, that just like, oh gosh, that would be horrible to, to lose children. And then another one-fourth, so a total of one half of your children would die before the age of 10. And so it's just surrounding yourself with the death of your own children, with, with misery and a starvation. You know, if you, you had a bad harvest year, then you would have starved in the winter a slow painful death of starving in this cramped little house barn with the rest of your family is just horrible. And on top of that, we're, we're going to talk about the Vikings, who uh, the cover of your, your, your notes, if you got one, is the Viking ship. And sometimes we think, oh, it must have been cool to be a Viking. Um, and there's the Viking age, and we think about NFL football teams. Any Viking fans? Uh, Viking. Okay, cool. Two, two of you, um, Minnesota Viking fans, and we think, oh, the the, the Vikings um, pillaged people, and that's cool, and we make a football team out of that for some reason. I don't know. Anyways, I don't make f- football teams, but the idea of the horned Viking is kind of in in our heads, and it may or may not the the horned helmet kind of thing. It may or may not. We don't have any really record of horned helmets, so. Um, it's just kind of a tradition that kind of got cartoonized. And um, anyways, so, but the Vikings were real people. I'm kind of rambling about football teams. The Vikings, real people, a real group of people from um, the Scandinavia countries. Uh, and they were um, 
uh, an old Norse warriors, explorers, m- merchants, and pirates who raided like all of Europe on their boats. And they had really sweet boats called longships. Here's a picture of one in a museum. And it was a very shallow boat, um, but it had a big mast on it so you could... Um, sail the ocean. It was seaworthy, but then because of its small size and you could put oars on it, you could row up rivers and and be in anywhere in Europe that was, you know, within a walking distance of a river. And so the culture of the Vikings, I find it to be very strange because it's like a pirate gang culture where where people instead of like going somewhere to settle or to farm, um the the popular thing to do was to 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 get a bunch of guys, get them on a boat, set sail for some place, and then go pillage a city and steal all the stuff that they have and then bring it back to your house. And people are like high-fiving each other, I imagine, at least. It's like, yeah, you pillaged the town. Great. We have all this gold now. It's like, dude, you know, it's like, what a gang culture. Like, who does that? Um, The Vikings did that. Here's a map of um, kind of these lines of where the Vikings went. And you can see that it's all over Europe. Um, and including, like, up, if you look to the north there, to the Iceland, Greenland, and then we, we have evidence now, archaeological evidence. I don't know why Columbus still gets credit for sailing the ocean blue and being the first to discover America, because the Vikings did it, like, 500 years before Columbus did it, and they land in what is landed in what is today Canada and Newfoundland, and we have um, archaeological evidence that they settled there. And, and so I don't, Columbus still gets the credit, though, doesn't he? Like, what the heck? I don't know. The Vikings don't get any credit. Probably because they were mean and they were bad and they were pirates. And, and can you imagine, kind of going back to this bigger point of what it was like to live in the Middle Ages and just random, you know, acts of, of violence... You know, you'd be, you know, one day you'd be harvesting, the next day uh, a group of men or from ships or a ship would come and destroy everything and steal and plunder uh, any kind of thing that was of any valuable um, to the town. And so lots of times the, the church would be the first to be hit because monks and nuns and priests usually aren't armed and that's where all the gold is, that's where uh, stained glass stuff is, that's where books were, and so people, the Vikings would pillage, and so I just imagine, what a horrible time to live in of uncertainty and starvation and losing your children. On top of that, Viking raids, randomly, that would happen. I mean, talk about like PST, uh, PTSD syndrome of just like, you know, one day you're harvesting, the next day your, your family is being killed randomly by a group of people that just appeared and raided your town, and the misery that that would add to this time in the Middle Ages. And on top of that, the the sickness, the black death or bubonic plague that happened in the Middle Ages. And it started as early as uh, the 500s, the 600s, and it it was throughout the Middle Ages, specifically in the 1300s. So this is maybe kind of skipping ahead a couple hundred years because we're talking about the Vikings. They were like 800s to 900s and the, the, the... first millennium to kind of like the 300s now when the when the black death was the worst but basically this disease that we now know was from rats or no is from uh, a bacteria that lived on a flea and the flea lived on the rat and you, that was how the disease was spread and it's a pretty horrible disease i mean the bubonic plague you could get these 
boobles in your skin, and it would, you would get um, dark colored. You'd become bluish because you wouldn't have enough oxygen going to your, to your body, hence the name Black Death or the bubonic plague. And you would probably, if you got the disease, the, the mortality rate was near 100%. You would die if you got the disease. And um, um, it was just a horrible way to die. You'd die within two to seven days. If you got the disease, you would most certainly die. You'd begin coughing up blood, and you would you'd lay down and be totally have like flu-like symptoms and these these um, like chickenpox sores all over your body. And within two to seven days, you would be dead. And it would hit you know one person and not another. It hit one town and not the other town. It would hit you know one uh, family and not another family. And it was just so random. People had no idea how bacteria worked back then or the spread of viruses or uh, bacteria actually. And so it was just like random violence and random sicknesses happening in the Middle Ages and, and upwards of, can you believe this, uh, in the, in the, right around in the 1300s, upwards of 60% of Europe's population died because of the Black Death. Like 6 in 10 people died because of the Black Death. Um, something like 150 million people all over Europe um, died. And it was just devastating. What a horrible time to live in in the Middle Ages and be a part of the, you know, this Viking raids and this horrible disease that, that would just come upon people and kill them, kill family members, kill whole towns. Um, horrible. Misery. And so we go back to this idea of the church in the Middle Ages because you know, next week we're going to talk about um, the Crusades. The week after that we'll talk about some of the abuses of the, of the church um, and, and how that's kind of another sad time in history where the, where the church, there was abuses, and we'll talk about indulgences and things like that. Um, but, but right now I just want to talk about how the church was probably the only thing that held the Middle Ages together. The church being the church, and uh, this was the only thing that held life together in some senses, that the, that the church was the, the people that, that kept copying the Bible, that kept copying these, these works, these books, um, because books get old, a paper gets old. If, if you have a really old book, like an antique book um, from 100 years ago or 200 years ago, you know that if you open up and just blow on it, like the pages will come off because books don't last very long comparably to, um, I guess, stone or something else. But um, so, <laughs> where that came from. Um, uh, so books need to be, especially if they're hand-copied books, books need to be, you know, you need to reprint books. They don't last that long. And so priests and, and monks uh, would copy Books and they would make copies of the books and and there's lots of statistics and this idea that you know if the if the monks didn't do that then we would not have any piece of writing pre like 500 A.D. It's like the monks with very few exceptions the monks were the ones copying Aristotle Plato uh, the Bible uh, the books the old ancient books and without them copying it we would not have record of anything that happened you know before the 500s which is just crazy to think about because books don't last that long. Paper doesn't last that long. And so the, the church, being the church and, and, and being educated, kept the world together in some historical senses. The church, being the church, 
helped people when they were sick and comforted those that were dying or sick. The church, being the church, you know, took care of the orphans and the widows, uh, the very, very poor, the destitute in the Middle Ages. And I imagine the church, being the church, kept things together spiritually for people, gave them somewhat of a hope in this age of mis- misery that priests and, 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 ch- and church leaders... The fathers, the, 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 the monks, carrying on a church service, even in the worst times, was what kept life together in the Middle Ages. And I was, as I was thinking about this lesson and thinking about like bringing it you know, together with, with who we are as, as a church, who we are as new lifers, I thought about like, some of the things that have happened in our history as, as, as new lifers. And if you, if you were here... In 2006, you know that there was a scandal of our of our former senior pastor, the founding pastor, and that was not a very good time for us as a church. Or the in, in 2007 on December uh, 9th, the the gunman came to New Life to to our building and and killed some people, and two girls, and and we think about like that miserable time for to be a new lifer and to to think about yeah that really happened to us at the church that the scandal the shooting and that were that was miserable times but i think in some ways you know the the miracle of of new life staying new life and new life continuing on you know usually things like a scandal will happen to a church and the church has to shut the doors people stop coming it's like yeah that that's you know that horrible church you know they're a horrible leader they did that so i don't want to be a part of the church i don't want to be the church it's just you know whatever we go somewhere else i don't I'm a, i don't need that anymore but new life um somehow survived and i would say miraculously i would say because of god and because of the steadfastness that that god gave us that gift uh, of remaining faithful and being the church even though sometimes in those times it we it didn't feel like you know we should be the church it felt like we were getting beaten up it felt like we should have given up but we didn't and and i've been reading this book um by Brady, Fear No Evil, it just came out. I think it's like a must-read for anyone that's a new lifer because it talks about the stories of the scandal and the shooting and how new life um, persevered in that time by God's glory and his, and his gift to us. And I just think about the church being the church. And if we learn anything from the Middle Ages, I think in this time of misery, in this time of unknown attacks by Vikings, this time of the Black Death, in this time of just horrible things happening, the church remained the church. They were, they were steadfast. And if we look back and are, are encouraged about anything, I think we shouldn't be encouraged that, that when we experience things that are horrible as a church, that we need to remain steadfast, that we need to continue to be the church, even if we don't feel like we should continue, even if it doesn't, like we feel beaten up, we feel like we should give up, we should remain steadfast despite suffering, despite misery, remain steadfast because... because we look back in the Middle Ages and we think, how did they do it? The, the misery and, and the horrible things that happened. Well, the, the church remained the church back then. And, and if they did it, you know, we could do it. We need to do it. We need to be the church in, in times of, that are good and in times of suffering. So it's with that that we'll, we'll close with this very passage that we started off reading today. And it's about suffering and it's about remaining steadfast and standing firm. And it says this, First Peter uh, 5, starting in verse 8, says... Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing suffering. 
undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And verse 10 says, and the, God, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the glory. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So it's with that, let's close in prayer. And God, we, we do tell you that we want to remain steadfast and firm in our faith, even in times in our own life or in times as a church when things go wrong and things are miserable and there's sufferings. God, we do tell you that we want to remain firm. And God, would you give us that gift, whether it be in our own life right now when things aren't going well or right and there's suffering or misery, uh, some sort of circumstance. God, would you give us power to remain steadfast and firm in our faith? God, we, we count it as a gift from you when, when, when we can do that. And we know that in the end there will be reward. And in the end, whether it be this life or the next, you will, you will glorify us and you will, you will make us like yourself. So God, we worship you. We praise you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. You're officially dismissed. It looks like we're ending a little early. So meet somebody around you before you go. And uh, we'll see you next week. Peace. <laughs>